Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So this is the, uh, as I said, the 10th in this series of talks that I've been giving that are based on the, um, the course that I teach, Awakening Joy. It's a 10-month course that we've condensed into 10 weeks. Um, kind of a crash joy course. <laughs> um, with a little bit more of the uh, Buddha Dharma um, as uh, as a basis for exploring. So these are uh, ten principles that I found useful in seeing the path, the Dharma path, as a path of happiness, as a an overview, starting with intention the intention to incline the mind towards well-being, towards finding where real happiness lies. Mindfulness, a basic tool of well-being, the best way to overcome confusion, sorrow, despair, suffering, and to experience the highest happiness. Uh, how we can open up to our suffering and sorrow as a an actual path to joy. As the Buddha said, one uh, understands suffering and then can come to the end of suffering. Fourth is, uh, was gratitude, how that opens the heart, makes space for a, a container that can hold the sorrows as well as the joys. The fifth practice is integrity sila in the, uh, in the teachings, the foundation of an ethical life being a, a source of openness and ease of heart. Sixth practice uh, that I find so key is learning to be kind to yourself, actually learning to love yourself, see who you are as no different, no less worthy of love than anybody else. And when you really get that, not just here, but in your heart, in your being, um, there's a, um, a connection with the joy that's always been inside. Uh, the seventh practice is, um, sorry, missed one. Sixth is letting go, learning to let go, not hold on, renunciation, simplicity, opening, not grasping, the third noble truth. Seventh is loving kindness towards self. Eighth is loving kindness towards others, connection with others, um, including mudita practice, seeing joy in the joy of others. The ninth, we switched around the order, those two, is compassion, expressing your compassion, expressing, expressing your caring. And uh, tonight is um, the joy of being or the ease of being. How is this, by the way? I can see all of a sudden when I go down here, it makes a big difference. Um, can you hear if, I, if I'm like this? Yeah. Okay. So being is uh, really the, The ultimate happiness comes out of simply the capacity to just be instead of doing. All of these other practices, and it's the same with, uh, with the formal meditation practice, uh, have to do with cultivation of certain states or learning to do a certain thing in relationship to experience, learning to let go or learning to open up to loving kindness. 
Lord, be mindful. And that is very important. Those are all very important skills to understand. And feeling the wholesomeness of it, the basic principle is as you're feeling that wholesome quality inside, if you're very attentive to how it feels, to the, to the goodness that it feels, as the Buddha says, to, to maintain and increase those wholesome states by being very present for them, then your capacity for well-being and happiness deepen and grow. At some point, we need to let go of any kind of doing, to simply be and let our, our being shine through. Now, this is a, a, an interesting question in meditation as well as just in our daily life, which I'll be talking about mostly this evening. In meditation, there is the approach that one works really hard to be present. Because it doesn't really happen on its own, usually. You know, if you go to a, a retreat or you go to a sitting and say, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. You know, whatever happens, you know, good luck. Chances are you will be the space cadet of the probably with a lot of other company. <laughs> and there's not much you can do in daily practice. You know, you're, sometimes you're, you're lucky if you know that you're on planet Earth and in a body. Uh, oh, alive, breathing. Oh, that was cool. I just was there for a breath. Um, and sometimes as you're doing it over time, it, it, there is that greater capacity to, to be present, although it's just depends what day it is, how much stress you are you have in your life, what's going on. You can't say, oh, well, I've been practicing. You know, I can't say, oh, I've been practicing for 30 some odd years, so I should be present now. Sit down. Mm. I set myself up for a lot of suffering. However, there is more and more of an inclination towards presence as you do this over time. On retreat, most everybody, if you're there for more than three or four days, the mind starts to settle down and you find yourself mysteriously more present. If you've been putting in your time during those days and you realize whenever you've wandered off, oh, I can come back and be here now. This is where life is happening. And in that persistent coming back in a very kind and gentle way, you start to train your, uh, your heart and your mind to land in the present moment. So it requires some doing. However, at some point, we have to let go even of the doing. And it's a little bit tricky because there's lots of different messages depending upon what Dharma wisdom you'd read. Uh, there's very different approaches from practicing like your hair is on fire, which is one very um, mm, motivating statement uh, in the teachings. And the Buddha said, uh, this is not just from contemporary sayadaws, the Buddha said, we are like children in, uh, a, in a house playing with toys in the attic, not realizing that the house is on fire. He said, when you get how precious, how, how rare the opportunity is to be in human form and how you want to make the most use of your time here, Practice with all the earnestness and sincerity in your heart to wake up. I've sat with Sayadaws, I've mentioned it here, you know, great teachers from Asia who talk about heroic effort, abandon all concern for the body 
one of my teachers would say, you know, if your leg is feels like it's falling off, just note it. Falling off, falling off, falling <laughs> off, you know. Don't let anything deter you from that that wholehearted heroic effort. And practicing like that, if you can have a little bit of lightness and spaciousness in the mind, is very fulfilling and rewarding in itself. Because that because what happens is actually from that heroic effort, if you can remember to keep it spacious and light and not strain too much, the effort becomes effortless after a while. So there's a tremendous value in that. Then there's a whole other way of practicing. You read somebody like um, Ajahn Buddha Dasa who says, nothing, nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have. Or one of my teachers, Manindraji, would say, um, empty phenomena rolling on. It's all simple and easy, simple and easy. Or a great, uh, in the Tibetan teachings, uh, great Rinpoche, uh, Gendon Rinpoche, he says, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. Nothing to do, nothing to force, and everything happens by itself. Sounds pretty good, huh? You say, oh, well, that's who I want to study with. Okay. <laughs> well, this is the highest teachings that uh, in the Dzogchen um, lineage, they give after somebody has done 100,000 prostrations and 100,000 mantra recitations and visualizations. And you're working hard at the preliminary practices before they say, just relax. Okay? <laughs> They're both true. It takes effort to train the mind, to purify the heart, to be in the present moment, like on those first few days of retreat. Once you're here, however, when you find yourself here in the present moment, any kind of doing, any kind of extra efforting, and you are actually taking yourself out of the present moment. Because when you're completely here, all you need to, to do is not do and just let yourself be. Any kind of doing is a movement out of the being and into becoming. Well, if I try a bit harder, maybe I'll even be more. No, no, no. no. You just missed the major point. You don't have to improve the moment when you're fully awake to it. All you need to do is rest in it. So it's not like one is right or the other is right. There's a time and a, uh, an importance in cultivation, and there's also a value in knowing how to let go of any kind of doing. And there's a, a famous phrase, sudden awakening and gradual cultivation. Even when you wake up and you're completely open to the moment just as it is, it doesn't end there. It's not like, oh, well, now I know how it is to just be, because there's a process of purification that keeps on unfolding. So even when you've had a very deep experience of the truth and of that being, there's still more work to do. And in the classical model of freedom, there's, the, there's four stages of enlightenment. 
where you free the mind and the heart in a very profound way and there's a kind of uprooting of certain tendencies of mind and heart. First stage. Then there's a second stage where you continue to work and to diligently bring a great sincerity to waking up and opening up to the second stage where some other things weaken and then fall away and third and fourth. So I want to look at this being tonight and see how it, uh, it can be understood or practiced in our own daily life. Whether or not you're going for enlightenment this being is accessible to us. And I'll just mention that since I brought that, that line up. If you're going for enlightenment, how many people here, you know, how many people here, I won't say uh, in the past tense have experienced it, but uh, how many people here have a, a yearning and uh, an intention to wake up completely? How many people here would, would say that they are going for enlightenment in one way or another? There's no wrong or right in this, please. Okay. That's, you know, I, I honor and bow to both the people who have their hands up and the people that don't. And they can both, there's a value to both of those. I know what it's like to say enlightenment or bust. And I've gotten busted a little uh, a few times in my life. And to have such a deep fervor and yearning that the whole heart is put into practice. I also know what it's like to have that as a, as a vision and a goal and have it not be inspiring, have it be very frustrating as I'm trying to watch myself get enlightened, or maybe it will happen, or what do I have to do, or maybe I'm backsliding now, and oh my goodness, and where am I along the path, and all of that. And it could be very painful. So it's, if it's an inspiring vision, I hope if you raised your hand that it would be an inspiring vision. And by the same token, I know what it's like to not raise your hand, either from a place of saying, oh, well, that's not possible, so I might as well just, you know, forget about that in this lifetime, or, you know, maybe not my karma, and do yourself a disservice selling your potential for awakening short. And I also know what it's like to say, let go of any striving to make anything happen, freedom and enlightenment and awakening is right here, right now. And any kind of forward toppling so that something profound can happen is missing the availability of freedom just in this moment. So wherever you're at, I hope it's an inspiring source of your practice. And if you, I saw a lot of hands go up when you said, when I asked if you're going for awakening uh, without the big E. The big E is just, it's just a word and it can get in the way. As long as you're facing in the right direction and want to continue waking up. There's no race given that this is a very precious opportunity and you're doing everything you can in a, in a balanced and loving and kind way, um, your dharma and your karma will unfold as it does. Nobody is keeping score and seeing, aha, uh -huh, did she do it yet? Did she make it the grade or did he? It just is facing in the right direction the way I see it. So, there's three different levels that I 
have held in my mind about this ease of being, about complete opening to being that I thought I'd share. The first level, or the source uh, of learning to simply be, is um, developing equanimity. Equanimity, one of the four Brahma-viharas, which is simply open to whatever is here. Because until we are not open to whatever is here, we're trying to fix things and rearrange the furniture, avoiding suffering and pain as much as we can, or having that tendency, and maximizing our pleasure. There's nothing wrong with enjoying pleasure when it's here, or not going for pain. You don't need to go for pain. Unless you're into macho meditation and or want to really explore and examine your your limits, but if you're willing to be here for it all, that is a huge shift in perspective in relationship to our experience. There's, uh, I'm sure many people are familiar with the eight worldly conditions of. Um, loss and gain, pleasure and pain, um, praise and blame and fame and shame. And we seem to vacillate or go between both of those ends of the pole and there's a kind of um, you know, tossed and turn between Praise and blame. Somebody says something nice, you feel great. Somebody looks at you in a funny way, oh, what did I do wrong? And the eight worldly conditions are the practice field for equanimity. And it can change just like that. Fortunes change quicker than the swish of a horse's tail, as it's said. So equanimity when we can truly cultivate more and more an openness to everything, we're not thrown off balance and we, there's a kind of courage that comes from it that says, okay, I can train my heart and my mind to be with this too. And it might seem scary like, oh, I don't know, I might have gotten over my head this time. Every time you're willing to open up in a wise and skillful way, and you see you come through it, there's a deepening sense of confidence and faith that you can be with it. Equanimity in that development of freedom, the awakened mind, if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with it, progress of insight, the stages of awakening. There's lots of different stages of uh, that one goes through, and uh, the just before the enlightened understanding is high equanimity. Okay, you've gone through seeing things very clearly, and then we we mentioned it a couple of months ago or a month or so ago, where you go everything starts dissolving, and you might have great fear and loathing and disgust for just the, the, how the game is, how, how did I get so caught up in, in missing the meaninglessness of life as it's usually lived. And you go through kind of disenchantment and dispassion and finally out of the urge for deliverance and you, you let go completely and from the state of high equanimity there is the opening to freedom. So this is an important thing to learn. What is equanimity? It's a balance of mind that can completely let go of wanting this or wanting that. And I want to take you through a couple of exercises, two different aspects of equanimity. 
One is when we're thrown off balance, how can we get back into balance? Think, in fact, we'll just do a little bit of experiential stuff right now. Just go inside and uh, think of situation where you tend to get thrown off balance. Maybe somebody says something to you or somebody particular in your life uh, acts in a certain way or you're, you get embarrassed or you, whatever your button is, we all have our own. Just see, when, you do, when do you get, the th get thrown off balance? Now, in that space, in your wisest moments, how do you come back? What helps you remember? What helps you remember to come back and not get so thrown off center? Just think, what works for you or what supports you? So let's just take a, a few comments. What helps you stay balanced or come back to balance when you get thrown off? Anyone? Yeah. Love, okay. Oh, just remembering I love my family, I love my son, and, and it, it creates some space. Okay, thank you. What else? Just pass it. Just that it's not about me. You know, letting go of the things that upset me. It's usually triggered by my relationship with my father. Mm -hmm. And I just go back to accepting and forgiving and saying it's his actions toward me have really very little to do with me mm -hmm. and more about his stuff. Okay. So seeing that's that's his stuff. And it's not about me. Excellent. That's a real good one. Anyone else? One more. Yeah. I get to be ordinary. I don't have to be spectacular. I allow myself to be human mm -hmm. and to have my vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Allowing yourself to be human, not trying to be some kind of saint or perfect person. Ah, you can relax that expectation you have on yourself. Excellent. Okay, great. All right, one way to call forth equanimity. We can actually call forth equanimity. Right now, here's one simple way. Go inside and without an expectation, just inviting May I have balance of mind right now? Imagine what it would look or what it feels like to be balanced. And as you imagine it, just invite it here right now. Curious, how many people could imagine what it's like to be balanced? Okay, that's the key first step. Because if you can imagine it, it's like you tune into that channel. Oh yeah, that's what it's like. And as soon as you tune into that on the dial, it's much more available. If you imagine what it's like to be freaked out, you will probably easily go there. 
before too long. So it's really inviting and invoking that. And this is done a lot in practice where we invite certain states of mind. Okay, so this is one kind of equanimity. Another is equanimity coming from attachment. We have attachments to people, to, to things happening. It's one thing to be thrown off balance. It's another to want or not want something or somebody and it throws you completely off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, <laughs> so here's another aspect of equanimity. I'd like you to just go inside and ask, what do you have a strong investment in? A strong attachment to happening What would you need to remember to let go of the pain of that attachment? And if you can think of something that would support you not getting so by your attachment, just devise an equanimity practice for yourself right now in a particular situation you might think of. Okay. What helps you let go of your attachments? Now, pull that takes you off center. We'll take one or two responses. Yeah. Take that. Spending time with children. Say again? Spending time with children. Spending time with children. How does that do it? What happens? Um, just nothing else is more important, really, than them and sort of the light in their eyes and the love in their heart. Mm -hmm. So when you see that light in their eyes, you kind of not lost in your own story yeah. of wanting. My stuff doesn't matter. Uh -huh. That's great. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. Um, moving out of the my little me perspective and just getting into a bigger perspective that it really doesn't matter half the things, three quarters of the things I stress about. Mm -hmm. Three quarters of the things don't really matter. It's like that uh, Mark Twain quote: uh, "Most of the most, most of the terrible things in my life never happened to me." <laughs> you think, "Oh my goodness! If this doesn't happen, it's going to be the end of the world." And how many of those have we had? The millions of ones that you thought that was going to be it, and somehow. They're all just distant memories now. So equanimity is about just seeing you're here for the ride. Everything comes and goes and comes and goes. And in the bigger scheme of things, it doesn't matter so much. Equanimity is a big, is a spaciousness that just allows us to rest in what's here. And as Ajahn Sumedho says, the, the, his key line, which I think is a, is as profound as any, is just realizing, oh, right now, it's like this. And it's like this means that it probably won't be like this for very long. It's all going to change. And in that aspect or that, that ability or capacity to just notice, oh, it's like this right now, whatever this attachment is, there's a sense of letting go a little bit. It's a freedom. And to just, as you let go, then you can simply be. Okay. So, first level. We'll just move on. Second level, out of that equanimity, what develops is a sense of real trust. A trust that lets go of thinking you are running the show. Let's go of the control that you never had in the first place and opens up to 
surrender. This is a very profound support for being. Because when there's surrender, and it doesn't mean just letting people walk on you and uh, over you and being a doormat and just, you know, it, it means when there is, when you've done everything you can to show up and things are going other than you'd like them to, you've got two choices. Wish they were different and get really twisted, bent out of shape, or seeing how I can open up to this moment just as it is. And in that surrender, we let go of the figuring out mind, and we have the capacity to open with wisdom to the present. Because it's the figuring out mind that keeps us from being. You know, we, start, we scramble around, what can we do? And how do I fix this? And I can't believe I'm here again. And how, what, how, where did I go wrong? And when you let go of all of that, and you simply notice, oh, it's like this. Not just equanimity arises, but a real letting go of surrender. And in that moment of wakefulness, the wisdom can meet the moment. You don't have to figure it out when there's enough space to simply be. Then, it's, then that awareness knows how to respond. And that's where the trust is coming from. Not that I'm going to figure it out or it's all up to me. It's really trusting that your awareness will meet the moment when it comes. It always has if you've given it half a chance. And that's a tremendous kind of relief. Because when we're stressed, which is another translation for the word dukkha, Ajahn Panasaro these days, uh, instead of translating it as suffering, translates dukkha as stress. When we're stressed and we're contracted, we can't see things clearly, and we're spinning our wheels. But in a moment of mindfulness, where you're letting go of trying to figure out, and you're simply seeing what's actually happening right now, waking up to the moment, we come out of our confusion and can let go of the, the tight mind. Then we can just be. Even if it's just for a few moments to just be, we can start to relax. As we give up that desperate trying to control. So it's trusting that the awareness meets the moment and then just surrendering and seeing what is here right now. So I'd like to just uh, invite you to Again, do a little experiential practice. How can I trust in a world that's so unpredictable? You don't know the next moment what's going to happen. How can I learn to trust? How can I learn to let go of control? What enables and supports me to do that? You might pick a, a situation where it's hard to trust that things will work out. If one comes to mind. And have an image of yourself trying really hard to make them work out. Notice what that feels like, looks like. Notice if there's value in it or not. And then just imagine what it would be like to trust that your awareness can meet the moment. 
have an image in your mind. If you could devise a practice that would help you develop trust in this kind of situation, what would you need to remember to truly surrender so you can see more clearly? Could you imagine, if you could imagine what it was like to trust, like in your opinion? That's a huge step. Okay. What helps you, what would help to support you to let go enough so that you can surrender and simply open up to things as they are? I'm not sure which teacher said this, but she probably could tell us. But um, when you're kind of caught up like that, you can only see the things that are wrong. And the, there's an alternative teaching of what is right mm. in this moment. And sort of a sub-theme of that, I, I kind of go through a thing, a list of the things that I'm grateful for. And that will get me through some pretty tough times. Excellent. Okay. Gratitude, getting some space what's not wrong. Thich Nhat Hanh used to say, uh, see what's not wrong, think what's right. Just to get enough of a space to see, okay, sometimes things are a little dicey and sometimes they're, they're not. But also, within this moment, there might be lots of lessons that you didn't realize are being offered to you. That's often how it works, isn't it? Okay, anything else that allows you to, to really surrender? Yeah, Jules, why don't you say it out loud and then I'll, yeah. Picture yourself as a boy in, in an ocean and just go with the waves. Okay, beautiful. That's an image, uh, it reminds me of an image I, I've mentioned here before that I think is, that helps me a lot. You're in the, in the water you're learning to swim and you're flailing about, oh my God, I'm, you know, and the, the, the person says, oh, just, just relax, you know, relax, I'm drowning here. And then you kind of learn how to tread and then the great miracle when you truly stop trying and you realize you can float. The water is here all the time waiting to support you. That's what trust is about, going from flailing to floating. And when you're a boy, when you're a boy <laughs> or a girl, you realize, oh, you could have been floating all along. It's carrying me. Yeah, that's fine. Why don't we come this way? Week that um. Or maybe it was two weeks ago that you t uh, talked about the Zen story about good luck, bad luck. Mm. I, I often use that just to sort of say, well, looks like bad luck, but it could be good luck, and it's all going to change very soon anyway, so who knows? It's good luck and bad luck, and so it just it brings me back to the present, and that doesn't, doesn't bother me as much. So. Great. Yeah, you don't know. It's hard to see while you're in the middle of it what this is about. Thank you. Okay, so equanimity and trust or surrender both allow us just to be. And then uh, the, the highest level is everyday being where you, once you trust and once you stop fighting and there's real equanimity, to relax completely and just let life move through you. Like for instance, right now, close your eyes and uh, first try 
useful thing to do. Try to be mindful right now. Really notice what's happening in the moment. Try not to miss a moment. Now, let go of any trying. Stop all trying. Don't do anything and simply allow life to move through you. Relax completely and feel life as it moves through. notice the difference in that? Yeah. What's that? Mm -hmm. Giving yourself permission to let go. In fact, try this one. Try not to be aware. Okay. Just try this for a moment, okay? Close your eyes and uh, just try not to be aware. Don't be aware right now. Now, don't even try not to be aware. Just relax. Interesting, isn't it? When we're not fighting ourselves, when we're not putting pressure on ourselves to do anything, if there's enough presence, you know, it's hard to maintain it over a while unless you've got some momentum of mindfulness. But when there's real presence, it's fun, isn't it? Isn't it fun to just be? Now, uh, we've talked about this before. Well, I, I won't get to this whole last page I had on this last one. But uh, you got the idea. And the, the main thing is that this is so available to us. As Ajahn Buddhadasa has in this, this beautiful treatise, Nibbana for Everyone, we experience these moments regularly. We just miss them. You know, you're just kicking back and relaxing. Sometimes you might space out after a little while, but sometimes you just, you know, there you are on a beautiful day and you're really, say, relaxing in your backyard or on a, in, in nature and you really breathe it all in. You know that feeling like, wow, it's good to be alive. That's it. That's it. You don't have to do anything to make it a better moment. You can simply completely allow yourself to be. This is a moment of freedom. You don't have to wait 20 lifetimes from now. Just don't miss it when it's here. And the more you're aware of it, the greater the possibility is for it to manifest. As you have your radar out for it, those moments of beingness simply uh, become more and more where you're living your life from. Disengaging the clutch is what I, I like to say. There you are clutching and you just completely disengage and you're in idle but a wakeful idleness and that's the highest happiness of life being present for it when it's here is crucial is is the way to fully open up and experience it so you have to
to stop here. We'll close with a short loving kindness and uh, really appreciate your attention and wish you many moments of presence in your beingness. Just relax once again. Feel your heart. Feel your goodness in heart. What a gift. And breathe in benevolence from around you. Let it fill you. And breathe it out. Surround yourself with that energy of kindness. Let it radiate out. And wish yourself well. May I truly see clearly and let my true nature show. May I see through all fears and confusion and allow the love to be expressed and shared love. May I rest in awareness and let the wisdom and the kindness shine. And then to send this, these thoughts out to everyone here, to all beings everywhere, may all beings rest in awareness and discover their true nature. May all beings learn to share their love well. May all beings wake up to the highest happiness. May our coming here together be of benefit not only to ourselves, to everybody in our life, to all beings everywhere. May all beings Hope you have a good month. I'm sure you will if you're present for it. <laughs> if you let it be just how it is, you'll show up. And uh, I'll see you in July. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.